when you're up against a hostile room of people who don't want to be there, you need real strategies that get results. Welcome to From Hostage to Hero, the show that gives you practical advice you can use right now in the courtroom, boardroom, or classroom. Learn how to move your unwilling audience to one that is invested in what you're saying, eager to participate, and engaged in the process. Learn from the attorney whisperer herself, your host, Sari Delamont. Well, welcome back to another episode of From Hostage to Hero. Sari Delamont here with you today, and I'm not remembering which readers I have already given shout outs to, but I'm going to do Gavin F. today. Uh, he wrote this review at trialguides.com. He titled it Beyond Must Read. This book is a must integrate. Sari's book does more than impart knowledge. This book is an exercise manual in, for achieving power and mastery in the courtroom. Excellent. Thank you so much, Gavin, for your review. I so appreciate it. And if you haven't reviewed the book yet, go to trialguides.com and do that. You can also order the book there if you have not actually gotten the book yet. And if you are enjoying the podcast, give us a review wherever you listen to the podcast. All right. Well, this is part two of courtroom leadership. I thought that that might be a long one and I was right. So for those of you just catching up with us, you will definitely want to go and stop right now if you haven't and listen to last week's podcast before listening to this week's podcast, because this is the second part of courtroom leadership. So just to do a little bit of a review, since it's been a week (laughs) and you may have forgotten, We talked about how there are two ingredients for leadership. Again, these do not speak to the style of leadership or good or bad leadership. These are just the most basic two things you must have to be a leader. The first one is you must be going somewhere, right? And if you're not going anywhere, there's no reason for people to follow you. So you've got to have that piece. And the second piece is you have to have followers. So last week we talked about where you're going, and how to communicate that to the jurors in terms of bringing them in on the process, making it about them by designing an alliance with them, by getting your case themes out in the air, so to speak, and voir dire, by giving that back to the jurors in opening, and by empowering them in closing. This week, I want to talk about how to solidify your leadership by how to communicate that you are the leader that they need so that they have confidence in you and choose you, not just for the destination, but for you and your leadership. Now, what I want you to to be thinking about here when we're talking about the second piece, like how do I communicate as a leader, not just how do I make the case about the jurors and the destination about the jurors, but how do I communicate in such a way that makes them want to follow me? Here's what I'm going to say about this. Leadership is communicated non-verbally. That is the number one thing that you have to get about leadership. You do not get to stand in front of the jury and say, I'm the leader. I mean, you can. It won't work because the people who get to decide whether you're the leader or not is the jury, not you. It's always up to the jury who the leader is. This is true of who the jury leader is. So often we think that a particular person is the jury leader when the jury has picked somebody else. I see this all the time in my mock juries. So the jury gets to decide who the leader is, meaning you or opposing counsel or someone else. And they also get to decide who the jury leaders are. They get to decide. So how can we tip that into our favor? Well, first we have to, we have to ask ourselves, 
what are jurors looking for in a leader? And we can, we can expand this out. What do people look for in leaders? Well, they want someone competent. So they want someone who knows what they're talking about. So this is where, I, this is where and why I built in a educate the jury section into my template. So I have a nine-part template, stolen in part from David Ball, stolen in part from Rick Freeman. We all steal from each other, of course. But we start with the hook. And right after the hook, we go into the educate the jury section. So that's the section where we talk about what should have happened. You know, how do you do things the right way? Then when we go into the story, which comes next, part three, we talk about what did happen. And juxtaposing those two things against each other is what really works because as I always say, you know, we can't judge or jurors can't judge conduct without context. So that teaching section gives the jurors the context needed in order to judge the conduct you're about to tell them about in the story. But in terms of leadership, it also does something for you because when you teach, it gives you credibility. Now, A lot of times people will say to me, you know, we don't have credibility to teach, meaning jurors think we're full of shit at the beginning of our opening statement. And so I really can't afford to teach because they're going to be like, well, who the hell are you and why should I believe you? Well, I have two answers for that. One that could potentially be true if you haven't done voir dire right. If you go back to last week's podcast, we talked about how voir dire is where you source your opening from the jurors. So if you've done that correctly... You're just giving back to jurors many of the things that they said in voir dire. So you don't need credibility. I mean, if jurors have already told you that they share the road with 18 wheelers uh, or semi-trucks, as they say it here, and that those are dangerous and they can cause all kinds of of problems, when you stand up and say 18 wheelers can be very dangerous and therefore safety rules need to be followed, that's not nothing new. That's not coming out of your ass. It's something that the jurors have given you and now you're just giving it back. And maybe you're adding more details or more things and that's great. But that's one. Two, especially those of you who are now scared, oh my God, I don't have voir dire. It's either federal court or I'm in one of those weird states without voir dire. Two, if you do the things I'm just about to talk about, you will have credibility because it's, again, leadership is communicated non-verbally. It is a thing that people sense you go back to the podcast on presence. It's 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 all about how we show up non-verbally, which really brings me to a side note, which is if you want to show up as a leader, you first have to see yourself as a leader. If you do not see yourself as the leader, no one else will either. You need to be able to walk into the courtroom and act like you know your shit. Even if you're not feeling 100% confident, You've got to, you got to bring it out there. Show it. It's like I said in a couple of podcasts ago, uh, episodes ago about Rick Freeman saying that fear is unprofessional and your surgeon doesn't come to you the night before surgery and goes, you know, I'm really worried about tomorrow, <laughs> right? He brings the confidence and so do you. So again, for those of you thinking, I don't have the, the, the credibility to teach. Well, you, you don't need it if you've done voir dire right and you can have it through your nonverbal communication. So leadership is communicated non-verbally. The first way, because I'm going to talk to you about all the different ways, not all the different ways, but most of the ways. (laughs) The first way that leadership is communicated non-verbally, the most important way that leadership is communicated non-verbally, and this is kind of tied to this whole idea that leaders um, are confident, right, and have to show confidence, is you are breathing 
well. Now, when I talk about breathing, people are like, what do you mean, sir? I I am breathing. What do you mean breathing well? Well, you're not breathing well when you are holding your breath up high in the chest. You're having to take a lot of inhales and exhales, right? You're nervous. You're not pausing. You're holding your breath during the pause, so on and so forth. That's not breathing well. Breathing well means that you are grounded, that you have good pausing, that you breathe during the pause, and that you have your voice under control like I do right now. When you are breathing well, you communicate, I've got this. You've heard me say this before, but it's been a while, so I'm going to repeat it, is that when you are not breathing well, what you're communicating or what you actually do is throw your body into fight or flight because you activate your sympathetic nervous system. Your sympathetic nervous system is your fight or flights. And that will actually show up in your nonverbals. If you're wanting to flee, you'll start walking around a lot. If you're wanting to fight, you'll start moving your arms around a lot, right? Your, your body literally sends blood flow to either feet or arms, depending on whether you want to fight or flee, right? So you're in fight or flight. When you're in fight or flight, you're in survival mode. And when you're in survival mode, you're only looking out for yourself. No one is going to follow someone who is only looking out for themselves. That's the piece I want you to get here. So when you're breathing high, you're communicating, I don't feel safe. And then of course your jurors aren't going to feel safe. So if you truly want to be seen as the leader and communicate confidently, the first step, number one, is to get your breathing under control and practice breathing under stressful conditions. Practice breathing under non-stressful conditions. We have all of our members and the, the, the people going through the Path to Mastery program, for example, our small group program that you can only have access to if you're in the H2H crew, we have all of them doing a breathing practice. Why? The more familiar you get with calming your body down and getting into your body and breathing deeply, the more easily you can do it when under stressful conditions. I've gone as far to say that you cannot be a leader if you can't breathe well under stressful conditions. Because here's the thing about breathing. It's communicated. People, jurors, may not be able to say, oh, they're not breathing well, although they have many times in mock jurors, juries. But they will definitely be able to sense that something is off, that you are not comfortable in your own skin, that you are not comfortable in the courtroom. So that's why so much of the H2H work that we're doing, especially in the H2H crew, where we really dive in, we've got other coaches working in there besides me, we're working on the mindset piece. Why? Because most of the time, the reason you're not breathing is because you're so fearful and scared. Of, of losing, of not being prepared enough, of all the things. That's why we spend so much time on the mindset piece because it affects your breathing. In fact, I said to somebody, maybe with my coaches who I was training the other day, I said, every single skill that we teach and that we do is to facilitate breathing, both in ourselves and in jurors, because nothing happens until and unless you're breathing well and until unless the jurors are breathing well. If they're not breathing well, They're not receptive. They can't listen to you. They're not going to go on the journey that we've been talking about. It all comes down to breathing. And that breathing starts with you. So practice tuning into your breath. And notice that when you start thinking about your breath, it becomes more and more deep, more regular. It's just an awareness thing. Bring awareness to it. That's how you calm yourself down.
Leaders also have a blend of authoritative and approachable communication. So that's another nonverbal that communicates you're the right leader to be following. So remember that authoritative communication is where if you're standing, which you mostly are in court, unless you're in North Carolina and you have to sit during voir dire, which is the weirdest fucking shit ever. Oh, but I love my North Carolina uh, lawyers. I love you all. So, and I feel sorry for you. <laughs> but if you're standing in a normal state, weight would be over both feet. If you're gesturing, palms would be facing down. Your head would be still and straight and the voice would curl down. That's your authoritative communication. You want to use your authoritative communication when you are sending information. On the flip side, we have our approachable communication. So your weight might go over to one side. If you're using your, your gestures, you're going to flip the palm up. Your head's going to tilt. Maybe it'll bob a little when you're speaking. That's going to create this rhythmic voice. Now, why would leaders use both of these? Because we want to feel from our leaders that they are confident and credible. That's communicated through the authoritative communication. But we also want to feel like our, our leaders care about us and want to hear from us, like in Wadir, and that takes approachable communication. Leaders can do both. They don't just say, oh, this is my style and forget it. They learn how to bring both into their lexicon, and that's why we spend so much time learning both and having them become more and more natural in the H2H crew. So you're breathing, and you're using a blend of authoritative and approachable depending on what you're doing. Are you sending information? Then you're using authoritative. Are you seeking information? Then you're using approachable. They're also adaptable. So what do I mean by that? Well, let's, let's use an example of eye contact. You know, we've been taught or trained that eye contact equals respect. It doesn't. That's not what eye contact equals. I think I have a podcast episode on eye contact. Eye contact means engagement. When someone's looking at you, they want to engage with you. When they're not looking at you, they don't. It's that simple. So often we've been trained, always make eye contact, that we make the jurors uncomfortable. Has this ever happened to you where you ask the juror a question and they go, uh, uh, and they have trouble finding their words and they look down and what do we do? We continue with the eye contact. No, 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 no. Leaders know that they can watch that and go, oh, this person's struggling to process. So they take their eye contact away, which takes the pressure away, which allows the juror to catch their breath. There's the breathing again and get back on track and talk to us. So they're adaptable. They don't take these communication rules and go, well, this is how it is every single time. If you've been following me for a while, if you're in the crew, you hear me say a lot, listen, here's the rule, but it's not always this way. There'll be times where you're going to want to break that rule and leaders definitely break rules, right? Because they know how to do it. They know that they don't need to please everybody. In fact, if you're trying to please everyone, you're going to please no one. I love the Seth Godin quote where he says, I'd rather have a hundred followers that just love me and adore me than a thousand people who could care less. So true. And you think, but sorry, I don't have that luxury in trial. I've got to get all the jurors to like me. No, you don't. Have you heard nothing I've said over the last several years of listening to this podcast? That's not your job. Your job is to develop your ideal juror profile so you know who you're looking for. And that ideal juror profile, for those of you who are new to me, is not about demographics. It's about beliefs that you want jurors to hold. And then you go looking for those people. And when you find them, you empower them. And they are the ones that win the day in the verdict room. It really is that simple. But I see you doing this other shit 
which is not leadership at all, which is trying to appeal to everyone, trying to be the nice guy. There should be jurors that don't like you and don't fit. Bye-bye. They're not your jurors. You want jurors that want to be on your team. Remember we talked about last week, it's all about that voluntary commitment. They want to go on this journey with you. And part of that is going to be because of your style and the destination. So you want to definitely get rid of this idea that you have to please everybody or be likable or whatever shit. No, this isn't about you. Go back and listen to last week. This is about the jurors. It's all about the jurors. And you are in service to them. That doesn't mean that you're trying to get them to like you. That means you've got a destination that you're going. You know that destination is where jurors want to go or most jurors want to go. And you're going to communicate that in a way to find out where those people are and then you're going to take them there. That's it. Finally, leaders are big. Leaders take up space. They have big gestures and big pauses. They they put their hands all the way out. When they empower the jury in closing and gesture to them, they've got their hands straight out in front of them. They walk around the courtroom, not not because they're meandering, but because that is their space and they're owning the shit out of it. They're big and they're not afraid to be big. Leaders take up space. So once you've got that destination that you're taking jurors to and you're making it all about them and you're designing with them and all the things we talked about last week, you want to communicate in that process that you are the leader to follow through excellent breathing, through a blend of authoritative and approachable, by being adaptable and breaking rules as you need to, by not trying to please everybody and by being big. This is how we show up as a leader in court. All right, well, if you have enjoyed this series on courtroom leadership, you're going to love the crew. Get in there. I think at this point we're closed when this this particular um, podcast drops, but we'll be reopening in October. Go to fromhostagetohero.com and get on the wait list. We are creating trial lawyers of the future in there. I don't care if you've been practicing 30 years or 50 years. We're still creating trial lawyers of the future because we're changing the way the game is played. We are mastering our mindset. We're getting our nonverbals under control. And the H2H crew is unstoppable, my friends. Get in on it. Get in on it. We can't wait to welcome you in the crew. All right, talk soon. Thanks for joining me today. If you benefited from what we talked about or just want to let me know you enjoy the podcast, go ahead and leave me a review on whichever platform you use to listen to From Hostage to Hero. Add a comment and I just might give you a shout out on an upcoming episode. In the meantime, head over to FromHostageToHero.com to order your copy of my book, From Hostage to Hero, Captivate the Jury by Setting Them Free. And to get on my mailing list, I send out trial tips and encouragement right to your inbox every single week. And while you're there, make sure you join the waitlist to become an H2H crew member when we reopen. We only open a few times each year and you do not want to miss out. I look forward to our time together in next week's episode. Talk then. 